Welcome to A for No, B for Yes. Welcome to the A for No, B for Yes podcast, where we're going to be diving into Zelda Ocarina of Time as our first game and talking about our individual experiences that we have with the game, and maybe we'll dive into other Zelda games after this. But for now, I'm Cameron, and these are... Uh, I'm Ryan Fonsi. I'm Anthony DeMeo. In these experiences in this game, we're going to cover everything from lore about the game to monsters to creatures to secrets. Anything you can name of an Ocarina of Time, we're going to try to cover it so you guys get the best experience with the Ocarina of Time possible. And and just as a side, I mean, we, we expect that it, you've either already played this game or you're looking to play this game. You can play along with us as we go through the story. Um, we, you know, we, we appreciate any kind of feedback, any kind of, uh, personal stories you have of your own time with the games. Um, and yeah, we'll be, we'll be discussing it amongst ourselves, but we'll definitely, uh, hopefully down the line, be able to include some of, of your, uh, stories as well. Yes, we definitely will appreciate that. So the first story that we're going to cover today is going to be the beginnings of Link. And we're not talking about Zelda. The boy in the forest, Kokiri Forest, and his story, where he began. Real quick, before before we get into that, I think just um, kind of as a as a further introduction of ourselves, um, I was actually hoping that we could kind of go over like what our own first experiences with this game were. Because I know at this point, I mean, I've played through the game probably twice. Um, I'm in my third and fourth playthrough at the same time right now, um, having a having a ball with it. Um, going hard. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny. Cause like the first time I remember this game was probably, you know, I mean, it came out in 1998 when I was six years old back then. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't think that was actually my first time seeing it. I don't think I saw it till I was maybe eight or 10, but, um, it was funny because, uh, actually the first time I saw it played was a whole family was playing it together as their like family bonding time. Um, they lived in the apartment hmm. above my parents' house and, uh, yeah, I remember seeing him go through uh, Goron City, just trying to like land bombs inside of the giant vase, you know. And um, that is interesting. It wasn't until like a, a little while later that I actually got my hands on it myself to to play through this opening story. So, um, yeah, first time I owned it was on the GameCube. I never even had it on N sixty four. How about how about you guys? Any any particular memories that stand out about this game from from the yesteryear? Well. I guess I could talk about the first time that I picked a Zelda game up was The Legend of Zelda, and that is because my mom was obsessed with it. And so I knew nothing about Legend of Zelda. And, you know, I obviously had the N64 for Super Mario 64. That was like a classic. I think it was the year 2000. And my mom actually bought me the Ocarina of Time, and I knew nothing about this game, the series. Like, it, it had been going for like eight years at that point. And I played the game for the first time, not knowing what I was getting into. I mean, I'm a little eight year old sitting here, like, oh, The Legend of Zelda, that seems cool, you know? I'm not like too into it. And just from getting into Hyrule Field after the Deku Tree was just like so amazing as a kid because, like, you know, the, the kind of game that came out like that back then, like, you didn't have that stuff. So seeing, like, this world 
and it's not as immersive as games today, but it just captures a sort of like fantasy. It's almost like reading a book, I guess you can say. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely was like a, a huge milestone game. I think it's kind of cool to hear about your mom being obsessed with The Legend of Zelda, though. Um, She's uh, the reason I actually got into it. I know it's so. I mean, I don't know how common that is. My my parents were not into games at all. They they thought I you know was gonna have issues with them um, because of how much I liked them, and maybe they were right. <laughs> um, but but uh, you know, uh, uh, it's kind of refreshing to kind of hear like some some heritage style stuff going on with with you and your your mom like that. How about you, Cam? Yeah. Uh, my first time with Ocarina of Time was also on the GameCube with the the Master Quest edition. But that wasn't the first time I played a Zelda game. My first Zelda game, I think, because this is going back a long time, was Oracle of Ages. And I actually had a pretty bad experience in that game because I found a soft lock and was not able to continue past the final, like halfway through the final dungeon of the game. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. After that, I played, um... A Link to the Past, which is an amazing game that I'm actually kind of going through again right now and do occasionally. But uh, Ocarina of Time was just massive because of the 3D jump. It was like before it felt like a Zelda game was a lot of fun, but now it felt like it was more personal. Like I actually felt like a connection with Link because of you know the whole 3D environment that you were thrust into. And it was, it was new back then in a, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't you soft lock into like the the water temple in this one as well? I just as a, <laughs> I feel like I remember some that happening to somebody. I think I just got really confused and couldn't find out where to go, and it just took me a really long time. I don't think you can soft lock in OOT in Ocarina of Time without glitches. Oh, uh, there used to. I feel like there used to be a prob- I problem. I with remember. That. Somebody had it. Somebody had that issue. I yeah, because I remember that. What in in Ocarina of Time? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've I've always been scared of like having it happen to me, just being careless in the Water Temple. Whenever I play the game, um, I know that they fixed it. Like if it was an issue, I think they they completely like, um, m- like kind of made it so you couldn't do that anymore in future versions, like the 3DS or the Master Quest one. I don't think had the problem, but. I think in the original N sixty four, you could you could lock yourself um, at the water temple and not be able to get any further. Yeah, which is grossly far into the game. Maybe not as yeah. bad as Oracle of I don't know which one you said, but ages, um, ages. Um, Let's see. Is there anything else I want to add in there? I don't think so. I just I had a blast playing it. I played through it probably like every five to seven years. I would play through it. And then I also got into watching speedruns of it later on, more recently. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's how I got into it. Man, speedruns. I, I can't even fathom speedruns, man. I, I've tried watching one, and just <laughs> once they start glitching the game, like I, I feel like I struggle so hard. I'm like, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know. No, I would never want to do that either. It's Sometimes it's interesting to watch. Be like, wow, you beat the game how fast? Oh, you jumped through that person? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> oh, you mean you, you took advantage of the code and wrong-warped yourself to the very end of the game off the first door? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Eight yeah. minutes? Yeah, well, I that, could do that. That may not be a possibility in the Ocarina of Time, but that is definitely a possibility in Breath of the Wild, but we'll get to that a later day. <laughs> I think uh, Cameron actually has a 
sort of secret for us later too i have a couple things i found that i don't know if you guys went all the way into uh looking for since i was trying to focus on the secretive things mm-hmm. um i don't remember finding too many secrets in this part of the game but I also want to see if you guys did it because I'm playing the 3DS version, which is the most recently remade version. I don't know if there's any content aside from being able to refight the bosses that was added. So I'd be interested to see if you guys took a line that I did and if you found the same things I did. But okay. that's after the Deku Tree. So we're going to start from the beginning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. All right. So I guess we'll jump right into the game then. We start off on we, we start off with a narration actually from the Deku Tree, kind of explaining a little bit just about how everybody in the forest has a fairy. There's a boy without a fairy. This is you, your Link. Say hi, you know. Yeah. Um. He's he's current he's currently in the middle of a nap, and what you find out a little bit later is that he's in the middle of a nap because he hasn't been getting good sleep lately. Um. He's actually making up for lost sleep. He's he's been having nightmares. Um. And hit the nightmares uh, are actually caused by a sensitivity to this this evil that is entering this land. Um, you live in the Kokiri Forest, um, known for being a a barrier um, between Hyrule and things outside of Hyrule. Um, so this Deku Tree knows that you are the child of destiny and has this mission for you, and so he sends Navi to your house to wake you up uh, and to call you over to help. You know, he he makes references to you not having much time. You know, once Navi comes and wakes you up, you come outside, you run into Saria, uh, who is your your next door neighbor and best friend. Um, she has a fairy. She's super excited to to find out that today's the day that you've gotten your own fairy, um, since everyone in the town seems to know you as the boy without one. Um, and then you kind of go on your way towards the Great Deku Tree. Um, well, you didn't have to go directly there. I don't know. Did you guys go straight uh, towards the Deku Tree, or did you kind of wander the village, kind of knowing a little more about what you were going to need at the time? I'm definitely a wanderer type in games. I explore every nook and cranny. It must be from my Dark Souls background, but I visited all the townsfolk. Um, I sort of was gathering rupees because I did remember that when I, you know, my first playthrough of it before that. You know, you needed to buy a shield before you could even get yep. past Mito. So I was sort of doing that, just exploring the town. And uh, this playthrough, I'm sort of getting a view of the like every landscape, seeing how like I never really like cared to look at the landscape really until this playthrough. I'm sort of taking everything in, like the trees on the top and like where we're located and like all the like buildings and like all that other stuff. So I sort of took my time with it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like tried to appreciate more of the the story than I did as a kid. I will say that back then I was like, mm-hmm. I'm this cool green guy. Like I can do rolls and jump, and he yells at stuff for no reason. It's you know, um, you know, it took me a while to yeah. f- figure out what I was actually supposed to do. Um, I remember back then, Kakariko or not Kakariko, sorry, Kokiri Village um, used to take me forever <laughs> and now if i if i was uh trying to get through it quick i could probably be out of there in five minutes so you know it's um but this time around i was definitely taking in the sights on purpose um yeah i definitely went straight to Mito though just to get the story because he won't let you through anyway um mm. yeah how about you cam what'd you end up doing well 
I played the game enough that I knew you need a sword and a shield. Uh, so I immediately went to get the sword because, I mean, you don't really need anything to get the sword aside from knowing where to go. Right. Uh, so I grabbed that. And then I remembered a couple quote-unquote secret places that you can get rupees. Like if you run around the building with the kid trying to pick up the bush outside, run across the two bridges, you can get a blue rupee just for free. It's not actually there, on, on my version anyways. It wasn't actually there to see, but once you run all the way over there, it just appears above your head. And the same with uh, right outside the shop, there's the three platforms you can jump, and if you uh, don't stop running the whole time and you do the consecutive jumps and land them, you also get a blue rupee. There's a couple things uh, that you can just kind of run around and try things out, and you'll you'll possibly get some money for it. And then I grabbed the shield, and uh, I was on my way. Yeah, I, you do kind of notice that as you go around the, the town, like everything is kind of geared to be a hidden tutorial you know like aside from the guys in the training center and the know-it-all brothers like they're they're very outright a tutorial like they'll straight up tell you what buttons to press and it's you know breaks the immersion a little bit um but everything else is kind of like a tutorial in disguise like here's how you platform in this game uh, you know, here's how you climb things. Here's how whatever. Like I remember, even if you lock onto that dummy in the training center, and like do a backflip, I think you get a rupee for that. Like, you know, like it just kind of randomly Ooh. pops up above your head. Um, I didn't know that one. Yeah, just just random stuff. Like you, you'd be running, and all of a sudden you just see a rupee come out of nowhere. Um, but if you did go straight to Mito without having a sword and shield, um. He calls you Mr. No Fairy. <laughs> um, you know, like he kind of just distinguishes himself as, as kind of this. Yeah, you know, he's, he's kind of a jerk. Um, it's funny. If you go to his house on the sign, um, it reads, you know, the house of the great. I don't know if it says great on the sign, but it says, you know, this is Mito's house. And underneath it says boss of Kokiri Forest, which I thought was <laughs> pretty pretty arrogant like i'm like this guy he's just narcissist man like the high school bully right it's funny because you go inside of his house and he's got like three chests with rupees <laughs> and one with art and you just steal all of it and leave um mm-hmm. and if you go into Saria's house like i know like i it's kind of a jump but like i well, i spent a little bit of time just like looking at the houses figuring out what was going on in each of them and the two that I care most about, because the rest are, are kind of useless, um, Mido's house and Saria's house, right? Like, they're the main characters of this village. Saria's house is full of hearts. Like, it's got hearts coming out the ceiling. Like, you go outside, there's hearts on the roof. You go inside, there's hearts all around the room. Like, clearly this is a character who is... I don't know if it's just supposed to be hospitality. Like, hey, you came to my house. She's a big heart. Here's a heart. You know, she's a big hearted individual. Um, I feel like there are strong undertones that she, you know, has a thing for Link. <laughs> you know, like I remember being a kid. <laughs> I didn't know what love was. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I had ideas, but like, you know, it, it wasn't. Yeah. So it very much kind of tells that story, though, of like, here are these two, these two best friends or whatever. And, you know. I think later makes more sense to get into that a little deeper because she does have a major story point uh, here in the beginning of the game. Um, but when you do finally get that sword and shield, um, you're able to get past Mito, and he's not happy about that either. He he tells you like like I'm, I'll still never accept you as one of us, <laughs> and then lets you. <laughs> so so you have- you could say he almost has very good insight because. You know, he still says it's like he knows you're not one of them, basically. Yeah. And the game doesn't really tell you that yet. You know, like 
Yeah. There are people who are struggling to lift rocks and you can lift them. Like there's, there's no issue. Um, <laughs> there's a kid who's pulling on weeds. I don't know what his deal. I mean, I know what his deal is. Mito told him he had to do it, but yeah, it's funny. Like th- there's this whole dichotomy of like, here's your best friend. Here's your worst enemy. Um, they're both the two most other important people in the town. And Mito is jealous of your relationship with Saria. So, like, Mito, Mito actually promises Saria, hey, I'll get rid of those weeds for you. And then turns to this other Kokri kid and is like, hey, get rid of them weeds. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this guy. By the time I was through there, man, I was struggling with Mito. He knows how to dump it. <laughs> <laughs> All of it. Yeah. So you finally do get past uh, Mito and his um, his barricade that he's got going on, and um, we get over to the uh, the Deku tree. Um, and you have your first encounter too before you get to the Deku tree. You do yes. Do you, For anyone who's never, that? you know, like they just throw you into this combat. I mean, it's not hard enemies, but you know the Deku Babas, a classic enemy in. Ocarina of Time, and I found something, actually, that I was telling Cameron. If you have a Deku stick, when you try to attack the straight-up Deku Babas, it'll go right through them. Like, it just doesn't make contact. And it's something that I never really looked into. It works for the ones that charge at you, but the ones that are straight up, you just your Deku stick goes straight through them. And I thought it was a little odd when it happened. Yeah. It makes no sense. Because okay. he swings diagonally, but uh, yeah, your first enemy, and once that happens, you know, you kill them, and you go to the Deku tree, and that's where the story continues. D- Speaking of those Deku Babas, though, like, is do you, do you know what the difference between the um, the ones that lunge at you and the ones that are like stuck up in the air? Because I know like some of them have different attack patterns, and they're they're very strict. Like the ones that stand straight so, up do not attack forward. The ones that stand straight up, they do have this, like, tornado-like pattern that they do. If you get a little too close to them, they sort of spin in, like, a little small direction. Yeah, they make themselves look like a tornado, kind of, except not fast enough. Yeah. And then the ones that lunge at you, I found the trick to killing them. Um, Because when I first started, I just ran right up to them, and he attacked me, and I lost, like, two hearts. It's embarrassing, I know, (laughs) but uh, I found the strategy for them is to actually run up as they're about to lunge and just, like, uh, Z-target them, you know, let the lock on, and walk left and just circle them. They kind of sit there for, like, a second, giving you a chance to do the vertical swing down on them. It's a very easy way to kill them. Nice. You can also block their attack, and they have, like, about one to one and a half seconds opening, or you could also just back up, and then their head will just stay down right in front of you for a second. You can get a free hit, but that one's a little risky. If you don't back up fast enough, you get smacked. Yeah, I think... I usually just hold my shield up when I back up, and that way, if I'm not fast enough, like, they'll still have the shield. Yeah. Well, here's another thing about Deku Babas. Uh, The ones that stick straight up and do the, the tornado attack... They always drop sticks, but the other ones, Mm -hmm. depending on how you kill them, you can get either sticks or nuts. If you hit them once and then they stick straight up in the air and you hit them again, they die like the other ones and you get the stick. Uh, But 
what is it? If you kill them before they stick all the way straight up in the air, then they kind of shrivel into themselves and turn into Deku nuts instead of being like decapitated and turned into a stick. Wow. Can you hmm. get seeds from them too? Do you know? I don't. I don't remember if they drop seeds or not. I don't I think you can get stick, seeds. sticks, nuts, and seeds. Hmm. Man, there's too many Deku products. I think seeds only come. There's from... There's too many Deku parts. The the Gomo children and. Uh, you can get the flowers across the, or not the flowers. I'm sorry, the leaves that are scattered throughout the Deku tree. Yeah, the grass. Those also give you. Yeah. Yeah, those give you the seeds. Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah, no, I got you there. I I think I remember reading something about some of the Deku Babos being shriveled up. Like if you talk, if you actually like, like activate Navi on them, like one of them just basically says, "This is a Deku Baba. Watch out! Like hit it when it stands up. Get a stick. You know." Um, something like that, and the other one I think says this one like this Deku Baba looks shriveled. Like, so I, I wonder if one is like older than the other, and that's why they like act differently. It's just like some goofy detail that it's really seems unnecessary, but I, I'm not sure why they included it. But hmm. uh, I didn't actually use Navi at all, like usual, so I didn't get these <laughs> messages. Yeah, like I like trying to look into the story a little more like i'm trying to find clues in in anything i can i mean the the enemies don't tend to give clues really um there is one enemy though that that i found interesting i'll get to that in a minute though i feel like that's a little later into the tree um because we haven't gotten into the tree yet we're still talking about deku babas outside the tree Um, yeah we're still we haven't even gotten to the great deku tree yet so i guess we'll continue sorry we get so we get to the deku tree um this large mustachioed oak looking tree um and he has you know he summoned you here so he's got this message for you um that he's been cursed um he needs your help uh you have to go inside basically and take care of this curse it says like i I remember what the exact line is something about ridding the evil inside of him um i think he even mentions the the evil climate and like saying like you probably haven't gotten great sleep lately <laughs> um, and uh pretty much asks you if you're up for the task you know he's like um so he basically he asks you if you have the courage you you can say yes or no i think if you say no he pretty much says like come on now <laughs> i don't have much time help me out here <laughs> but, you're gonna you're gonna leave me like this yeah you say you say yes he um you know he opens his mouth he says then go forward you know, courageous link. Like he basically asks you, like, you know, rid this curse using your courage and wisdom, and then go forth, courageous link. Um, and courage ends up being a huge motif of this thing, um, of this game. Mm-hmm. Link, I guess, spoiler if you you haven't played the games, has always been kind of the the character of courage. He's always been the one um, who represents that that part of a three-part system um and i think that the best time to discuss that will be after we talk about this temple when the deku tree explains it all um so we enter the deku tree and immediately you get a pan of the room and there's moss and spider webs everywhere so yeah i mean i guess first impressions and it's not really first impression for your first impression of this would have been years ago but what are your first impressions this the time? first thing that i want to say that i never put the two and two together is how well the developers made it look like you were actually inside of a tree the cylinder room 
it it's like it doesn't really register when you're a kid you just oh it's a dungeon you know you're exploring it and then when you come in for a second time or third time it's a tree <laughs> you you have up you have down i mean like it, it's crazy that like the detail that they put into the, like the first dungeon and yeah there's side rooms and stuff which you know obviously could be as branches there's an underground part of the dungeon but all in all like the dungeon's pretty cylindrical and yeah. it's just cool that like you know you go inside and the developers thought of that you know they didn't make a actual dungeon you know to add on that to was that, like when i was a kid i did kind of realize when i walked in like this is a big room this looks like the inside of a tree but i never made the connection that like when you go down like later on once you once you get the thingy you go down into like the roots and then there's there's water down there and i didn't even really right like, make the connection that we're like going down underground and this is where a tree would have its stored reservoir of water yeah yeah, I definitely like didn't realize just how deep into the ground you get because you drop two, at least twice, two good drops into this tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you learn is that fall damage isn't going to be a huge factor in this game. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, um, Link is not afraid of heights. No. It's like one of the first demonstrations of courage that he has is, is being willing to fall amazing heights just to break a spider web. So... I mean, yeah. I mean, you go you go deep, and like it's funny because when you get down to the water, there's like grates letting the water through, which is very confusing. But well, the whole Deku tree itself is confusing. It's like who built these doors? You know? Yeah, yeah. Who built the doors? Like, where did all this come from? Like, they had to make it a functioning temple in some way. One of yeah, yeah, one of the things that I come across a lot when I'm trying to analyze the story is like, okay, what about this is just video game logic, and what about this is actually story? Because like, <laughs> if you even think about the village, like they have six houses and like thirteen kokiri living in the village, um, so there's not enough housing for all of them. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, bunk up. They, Amongst those six houses, they have a training grounds where they learn combat, but these Kokri are not suited for combat. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> stuff that is clearly set up just so that you learn the game. Like, they're not, it's like, that's not a story yeah. point that they have a training ground. They're not an army, <laughs> you know? Like, the Great Deku Tree specifically requested that training ground for Link. Right. That's, yeah. I mean, that's what it would suggest is like, the Deku Tree was like, yo, we got to train this kid. Um, so we're going to put some dummies up. <laughs> And hide the sword behind the rock. <laughs> All right, cool. Anyway. Uh, so pretty quick into the Deku tree after you go up a little bit. Not too many other paths you could take. You find yourself getting uh, the, the first thing that is going to become a recurring theme in pretty much every single dungeon or temple from this point forward, which is a map. A map that allows you to see, like, all the floors you've been to. It differentiates between the ones you've been in and the ones you haven't. And once you get the second part of that duo, you'll even be able to see the rooms where you maybe missed a chest or two. Yeah. And I want to point this out, uh, because I feel dumb for this. And I haven't played a Zelda game in a long time. But I was watching Ryan play through a later dungeon that we'll get to later. And... I didn't know that you could actually put the map on the bottom right-hand side of the screen <laughs> this whole time. I've been playing this Zelda game. This is my third time through it. I never knew that. Well, the weird Ever. thing is... I is thought you had to pause to get to it. Yeah, it's linked to a button for some reason. Like, there's a there's a toggle, and 
I don't know if that that trigger on the original system just they couldn't find a better use for it. But you can just turn it <laughs> turn it on and off at will, and there's no reason for that. But that's so like you could go through the whole game, never hit that button, never realize that you you had a map at your disposal. Yeah, and I for sure did some strange <laughs> some strange mapping there for sure. Question, because I know that there's there's the map like you were saying. Um, when you guys went up to that first floor, like where that first plateau i should say um and there were the skull waltulas right there's there's some spiders on the wall there mm-hmm. um did you guys actually try to climb that wall or did you continue on to get the uh to get the item of this temple first so i didn't try to climb it and this is because i have ptsd <laughs> from trying to climb it in a previous run where <laughs> yeah. i knew what happened i knew what happened and so yeah i I this time did not basically if you try to climb oh it these things are going to lunge at you and if your timing is off where they're like turning on the wall and they see you it's over for Link I, basically. I think this is one of the most trolling parts of the game because there, like it's not in your best interest to try to climb this wall but the second you get near it Navi will interrupt you and be like hey there's vines on this wall you might be able to climb it. <laughs> I'm like, no thanks. <laughs> I, I know what I need to do before that. I'm uh, I'm not trying to climb that wall right now. Oh if you stick gosh. all the way to the far right side of the vines, though, there's like a there's a spot where you can climb up maybe five feet, and then your guy will automatically fall because there's nowhere left to climb that's coated, even though it looks like there is. But if you move over just a little to the left of that, you can actually get up the wall relatively easily without the sculptulas being able to hit you. They they still can, but it severely lowers the chance that they see you. It's like the very, very outside of their vision range, and you can probably, with like 60-70% accuracy, get up there. Even though, again, you don't really want to yet. Right. If you continue, you, uh, you find yourself... Uh, I think you have to fight a one Deku scrub. Like you go through a door, Navi teaches you how to open doors because I, you know, it always confused me because I thought I had opened like four or five doors by this time, but I didn't. I went back and it's like, no, there's no doors in the village. There's no doors to get into the Deku tree. There's no, like, this is literally the first door you come up to, and Navi tells you that you have to press A to open doors. Yeah. Might, own, might as well be a door. <laughs> Um, so you go in. I think this is the first time you fight a Deku scrub. Yeah, Anthony, you're our, mm-hmm. you're our creature expert. You want to talk about Deku scrubs? So Deku scrubs are not necessarily bad guys, but they're not necessarily good guys. Basically, when you walk into the room, you see this plant and he's just like, oh, hey, there's a guy in a green hat. Let's hurt them. <laughs> and they start shooting Deku nuts at you. Okay. And these guys, uh, at first, you might be a little confused when you see a Deku scrub. Like, oh, how do I kill it? Because the second you get close to it, it just hides in its hole. And I remember as a kid having a lot of trouble with this because I was like, what do I have to do? And then it clicked on me. Oh, shield. Right. And Navi will actually give you a warning as well if you're having trouble that, hey, you can block his attacks. So once you reflect using the shield, his Deku Nut back at him, he'll actually kind of get hit and run around like a crazy, crazy Deku Shrub. 
and you can actually talk to him. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. Are we okay? Are we cool? And like something like that. Each one says something different when you talk to them. Um, it actually sets up later for another type of scrub called the business scrub, which you can also talk to. But these ones are a little bit more like archaic and uh, a little more angry. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like fighting them, they were weirdly diplomatic. Like you would hit them once, mm. they would kind of abandon their hole, and then you get close and they'd be like, wait, 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 wait. Here's a tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, if you don't kill me right now, I'll, I'll teach you something. The first one, this one, teaches you that if you hold forward when you fall, you can roll and avoid damage. But he also warns you that if you fall too far, it might not work. It might not work. He kind of laughs a little bit and then runs off. So we get past that. I have a theory about these Deku scrubs, by the way. I want to float by you guys, but we'll get to that when we get to the end. Because he's not the last one we fight by any means. We still got to nope. go through two or three or five more of these guys. So, um, yeah, so we get past him. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the room where we get our fairy slingshot. Yeah. Anybody have trouble remembering what you do with it off the bat? Mm, no. No. Yeah. There's a ladder. You shoot the ladder down. You get out. <laughs> it's great. I actually got, I mean, last time I played through... Um, there's like a floating platform in the middle of the room too, just to mess with you. Like if you try to go for that first, you almost never make it to the chest. But if you just kind of go off the side and climb the ladder instead, um, you can actually use that uh, platform on the way back and like catch the top of the ladder and not have to like, you know, fall back down and climb a whole ladder again. But it's not, it doesn't save you that much time. I also believe this is the room that has a very tiny secret in it. And there's a vine wall right next to the chest. You climb the vine wall, it's very skinny. And when you get to the top, there's a tiny little treasure chest there. When you open it, you get a heart. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, oh, just a heart. But when you only have three of them, it, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Especially if you're not good at killing the enemies right off in the bat. It's definitely like, you know, a great thing just to get that heart. Make sure you're full up on HP. Yeah, because it's not a heart piece. It's just a heart. And I've, that's the first time I've noticed it. Yeah, it's just a heart. Nice. All right. So so equipped with this uh, fairy slingshot, we can now clear out the Skull Waltala. By the way, that's the most ridiculous name. I mean, Skulltala on its own. I mean, it's like Skull skull Tarantula, right? But to just shove wall in the middle of that. Skull wall tall. Oh. So you can clear them out and, I mean, pretty much climb that, that vine unhindered. Unlike what Navi was kind of suggesting you do earlier, which is pretty much just run into uh, certain pain. Um, up at the top of the tree, I think you even get the compass before you make the, make the plunge if you're... Uh, if you're exploring well enough. So the compass was in a room. Uh, you, it's at the top, and you go through the door. The door locks behind you. Then you see a torch and a switch that's right in the front of this ledge. And then on the other side of the room, there's a ledge and a treasure chest. And if you go onto the switch, it actually raises a, three invisible platforms in the map. And you can then hook, a, like, just jump across these platforms to the treasure chest, and that is where you get the compass. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a gold skulltula in this room, too, in there. Yeah, that's where you see your first gold skulltula. Nice. That's a detail for a later a later thing. Yeah. I but mean, definitely collect those. Definitely collect them. Yeah, I mean, all we, all we know about them now is that they're gold and that they're skulltulas, 
and that they give you tokens for some reason. Because I don't even think Navi can lock onto a Gold Skulltula, so you can't even really get information about them yet. But there is a Skulltula in the room too that is kind of guarding that Gold Skulltula. I don't know if now's the time to talk about Skulltulas or if you want to wait. I mean, until we come out the door. Either way, uh, the first real Skulltula encounter is is up next. Something I want to bring up. So far in this game, everything that we encountered so far is actually in Ocarina of Time first. Which means, like, we've never seen this type of enemy in a Zelda game before. In all the Zelda games that came before, I think there was like four or five of them. Uh, these have all been first enemies that we've never seen before. So, for people that were coming into the game, like, you know, it's all new, basically. You know, they've never seen these enemies before, so I thought it was a cool little detail. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Really, there was never any, like, Deku thing. I remember you get shot at by Octoroks, but there was never, like, a Deku version of that in the old games. There was never a... Uh, Dekus were Ocarina of Time. Unless, uh, unless Dekus might have been in a Link's, Link's Awakening, but... Skulltulas were first. This was a first Ocarina of Time edition, basically. I can see that because they kind of the scary red-eyed Skulltula. Right. Yeah, I thought I thought Deku Scrubs were in the Lost Woods of um, A Link to the Past, but other than that, I I don't remember anything else being in previous games. So and I'm not even hundred percent on that. This Skulltula, you know, the thing about Skulltulas, <laughs> I don't know about the Wall Skulltula. I never looked at a, a, a I don't even know if it's a Wall Skulltula. It's called Waltula, right? Whatever. I've never. Skulltula. Yeah, I never really looked at those, but a Skulltula, I always saw them as just a skull. You know, like this is a skull with spider legs coming out of it for some reason. It has a stomach that you have to cut into. For me, that was always its back. But no, like it, if like if you talk to Navi, she's like, cut its stomach. That's its weak point. I'm like, what? Yeah, these are spiders. <laughs> these are spiders. Like they have red eyes at the bottom that look like teeth. And it has two big, like, eye cavities that I guess are false. Like, it's not actually a skull. It's a big spider that just has that pattern on it. Um, And every time I see one, I struggle to see it that way. Like, I try to take time and be like, okay, fight the illusion. This isn't a giant skull. It's a spider. (laughs) Its eyes are at the (laughs) bottom, not, like, huge on top like it looks. Um, Even though it looks like it gets angry and spins around, like, I mean, it still does that, but it's not the skull face that's angry. It's the little pincers at the bottom. I don't know, man. It's just a very confusing thing to look at. Yeah, I thought that what was kind of cool, you know, this this whole thing is about courage. Like, that's that's what I kind of took back from the Deku trees, asking if you have enough courage to go forward, courageous Link. Like, aside from the fact that you're about to take this massive plunge, um which is acrophobia, right? Fear of heights. Um, you're also are fighting spiders left and right, which is arachnophobia. And those two are like listed in almost every top 10 phobia list. Like that you can, <laughs> that you, that you could Google easily. It really seems like the developers were trying to give you something to be afraid of so that you could overcome it via courage. Right. So like what, what also kind of yeah. stands out to me is that these skulltulas I mean, they look like skulls. I mean, this is a cursed tree, right? It's it's on its deathbed. Like these these are skull symbols literally signifying, hey, this cursed tree is dying. Like there are there are symbols of death everywhere in this tree. It's very good. It's, it's a little yeah. bit morose, but I mean it's it's true. I mean, like everywhere you go, it's like 
these spiders are falling from the ceiling and stuff. I never, uh, I never really realized that myself. But let me interject and say one thing that uh, it is is a Japanese game, and one of the biggest things in Japanese culture isn't necessarily the shock fear that is big here, like boo, loud noise, you're scared, jump scare kind of thing. In in Japan, they they very much focus on the fear of the unknown and how terrifying it is to not know exactly what you're up against and. The way that they talk about Ganondorf, uh, or the the big evil bad guy, before you go into the tree, is also, like, a fear of the unknown. Like, you're stepping into the beginning of a journey to fight someone that is so powerful that just, they can curse and kill this this tree that's been alive for who knows how many hundreds or thousands of years with without even really trying and to you know to mm-hmm. step into that and to take that on as some kid who just woke up from a nap he was having a nightmare from <laughs> is like it's a really big thing to embark on yeah and to piggyback off that of what you just said where we don't know how old he is and we never brought this up but have you noticed the way dust he talks this and thine being the greatest thine venture like he talks in olden english and it's just it's just to amplify like how old he really is you know none of the other villagers talk like that yeah and i mean later in the game spoilers there's a castle and nobody even at the castle talks like that (laughs) so like like clearly this you know this is there's some definitely some like european imagery that goes on but old english isn't really a part of it um except for here in this with this tree yeah um and i think they did it just to you know just to cement how old this tree really is yeah one one last detail that i thought might be worth mentioning before you take the plunge um that web that you're breaking to do this like to me, I I didn't notice this previous playthroughs, but this time I was looking for things to kind of grab onto. You can you can take this for what it is because it's not a very strong argument. But um, if if this whole cavity that we're exploring is like the inside of this tree's face, you know, because you know his face takes up the whole front of the tree, um, then that hole that we're jumping down into is very much like a throat, um, and to have it have a film basically of webbing across it, I think just really pushes forward that image that this tree is sick, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's congested. It's got, it's got a web phlegm flap. That's pretty gross to say, but you know, that's <laughs> this is basically what, what it looks like is going on here. Like he's probably having trouble breathing. If, if that was a thing, I mean, he's a tree, so that's not really how trees work, but but like if his, there's not that much water yeah, in his if, pit if either if this dungeon so far has been his skull then that would be his throat and it seems like he's sick with webs yeah you could definitely Again. tell that there's there's something messed up and very foreign going on in, inside of him yeah and i think another cool thing i mean like because the deku babas the deku scrubs um these things don't seem to be part of the curse i mean um because they're plants you know like they seem to be almost a part of like if i had if i had to kind of build an analogy here i would say that the deku babas are like are like the deku tree's immune system almost like trying to fight off this curse but they doesn't know what to attack so link gets close and they just attack link because he's there you know um that's a good analogy 
Yeah. I don't know if it's right. I don't know what they were thinking when they put all these together, but it seems like half the time you're fighting tree related things and half the time you're fighting spiders. So yeah. Yeah. You could almost think of them as parasites in a way, uh, at least the spiders, like the spiders and there's a spider coming up that we're going to get to, which is also a parasite, but it seems like the Deku shrubs were living there beforehand. Yeah. So we take this plunge and we find that pool of water we were talking about earlier. Um, another gold skaltula. Actually, there's two in this next room. Um, and they're not hard to get either. Like one of them, you kind of have to jump into the token to get it. Um, the other one's right on the wall. Uh, that would take you back out. They're very noisy. Um, but they're the only real threat in this room so far. I mean, there's a there's a puzzle there. I'm guessing you guys didn't have too much trouble with the torch lighting. Mm-mm. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if anything, it was just cool that they're kind of introducing the use of fire as a tool in the game. It's not, I couldn't really think of a great way to, I mean, other than fire is thought to purify things or whatever, like kind of burning away the webbing um, is kind of a cool image, but but it wasn't necessarily, a, a, yeah, it wasn't a super hard um, puzzle or, you know, strong story point. So, I mean, I think it was just to you know, just, just introducing puzzle solving in this game. So it's also kind um, of funny how much fire is inside of a tree. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you burn, you burn the webs, but it doesn't really light the tree. Doesn't light the vines. Doesn't, you know, nothing else catches who built the torches. Yeah. You have to assume that these torches have been here for a long time. It's like, what was the purpose of putting torches inside of a tree? What are these? What are these large blocks that have symbols written on that? It's just stuff everywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the dungeon element of the tree, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you get to the next room, and there is our second scrub. Yes. So basically, you fight this one like you do the same thing. You hit him with his own seed, since you know how to do that now. You chase him around the room a little bit, and he says, "Wait, wait, wait! Don't don't hurt me. I'll I'll give you a tip." Um, in order, like, you'll never get past my brothers unless you punish them in the correct order. Um, and he says it's two, three, one, and 23 is number one. And then as he runs off, he says, do you think I'm a traitor? Like, he asks you, do you think I'm a traitor? And he runs off. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was there, I'm like, I kind of do. Like, at this point, I kind of do feel like you might be a traitor. Yeah, because of, because the first one didn't sell them out, you know. So why why did you? Do and he it, didn't even know? have to give you the right information. If we're talking like realism here, he could have lied to you and still gotten away. But he told you the right information as you find out. So I would a hundred percent say that he is certainly a traitor. It's almost like he's for the great Deku tree, you know. Like he knows what's going on, and he's like secretly telling you how to save the Deku tree in a way. Like because his brothers are guarding the uh, Goma which we'll get to later. It's almost like he's giving you this message in a way like, hey, please save the Deku Tree in a way. So one last thing about this guy before we kind of move on, because I definitely feel like, yeah, like he's, there's a, there's a lot going on with his, like, again, being kind of diplomatic, being weirdly traitorous, doing things he really didn't have to. But like, then this is, this is such a weird turn of topic. His little thing about 23 being number one, um, I feel like is a reference to Michael Jordan. <laughs> no, ser- twenty three. Seriously, because like he, Jordan was twenty three, like he was number twenty three on the Chicago Bulls. 
Um, I literally just looked it up because I was curious. Um, he was on that team for 14 years, and the last year he was on it was 1998 when this game was released. Hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't know if there was a basketball fan in the in the production team who decided. Shigeru Miyamoto is a fan <laughs> confirmed here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it just seems a little too coincidental that you know one of the best players of all time was you know like even as a kid i wasn't a basketball fan but i knew about michael jordan like yeah you know. as a not sports fan at all uh i would have never known that at all until you just told me so that's, that's very interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so we leave this guy um I'm trying to get all these rooms in the right order, but I'm doing a really bad job of it. There's a room that has a like a spinning log of spikes. Yeah, you, you have gotta to press a switch. It. You got to go in the water, go underwater, hit the switch, which lowers the water so that you can ride the platform underneath. Or it either lowers the water or raises the spiky thing. It lo- I think it lowers the water. I think that the next one is either um, the place where we fe- first meet the uh, the larvae. Like Goma's children, um, it's sort of a circular room. Yeah, it's either that or it's just a Deku Baba mm-hmm. room with torches, and I I don't remember which one is right. But both of these rooms are kind of within the next stretch before we get to our second and final drop. Well, you do have to go back to the room we first dropped to, and that room, af- which is after the uh, baby Goma room, we have to go back there, drop a platform. There's like a big platform with a eye on it that you have to drop into the water. Yeah. You then jump across, grab the torch, and then jump back up to burn the web. Right. I think, or light the torch. But if you're used which to opens rolling the door. to get speed, and you roll through the tiny bit of water to get to the block that you push down, it will put <laughs> out your torch, or it'll put out your mm-hmm. stick. So you have to yeah. be a little careful. And if you mistime your jump and you jump into the water and start swimming, it will also put out the fire so you gotta be a teensy bit careful right and there's and there's deku babas in this room if you don't clear them out first there's a good chance they'll mess you up on your way they don't they don't like link running by like that they'll punish you and, uh, <laughs> so once you grab the fire and climb back up the block uh you find another one of those congestions uh and you have to get rid of it but the caveat is that there's no large area for there's no great height for you to drop down to to break this so how how could you possibly do it and you have to think that you've been burning the the webs up until this point and you have a stick that's on fire that you just brought back up and probably used to light the torch so that if you didn't think of it right away it would be easier to relight your stick and you roll over the uh the cobwebs and as the stick rolls with you, the fire just briefly touches it, and the entire thing just lights up and is burned to a crisp. Yeah, these webs definitely have some kind of accelerant on them. Gasoline-soaked webs. <laughs> Man, maybe that was the uh, maybe that was Queen Goma's final plan. Like after she was done webbing, she was just gonna light the whole place up. <laughs> well. So then we drop down, right? Mm-hmm. And we drop through the newly lit hole and we get to a large open room. And once we drop, we see three mad Deku shrubs. Yeah, we fall down and we have these three Deku scrubs that we have to remember the code for. Um, so, you know, we Jordan it up. We, <laughs> we attack number two, number three, and number one. Um, and number one is the only one that ends up talking to you this time. Um, because instead of getting stunned, he actually leaves his hole, and you can chase him down like his, like all of his brothers before him. 
Um, and he stops and he says, you know, wait, 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 don't, don't hurt me. I'll give you a tip. In order to administer the coup de gras, like literally, like th- this is the kind of language this, this scrub is using right now. In order to administer the coup de gras to Queen Goma, strike with your sword while she's stunned. And then says sorry about that as he runs off, which I don't think he's apologizing to you. I think he's a- apologizing to Queen Goma, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. Um, but here's where I get into my my scrub talk, because these dudes, I'm like, honestly, when we when we started talking about doing a podcast about this topic, like part of me thought that I'd have a whole segment about, you know, Deku scrubs, friend or foe. What are they? <laughs> like, who are these dudes? Here's my here's my thoughts on these guys. They I mean, they share a name with the tree. Like they're the Deku scrubs, right? Like this is where they they only exist within the Deku tree. There aren't Deku scrubs anywhere else. Um, there are very similar enemies, but um, that are also scrubs of different kinds. But Deku scrubs are in the Deku tree. Um, and my thought on it is that they are the Deku tree's own doing. Like they they are his defense system. Like they are there in allegiance with the Deku tree. Um, and I have a feeling that when Queen Goma arrived on the scene, she scared all of these dudes into submission. Like they, like they all decided, okay, now we work for Queen Goma because she's here, and if we don't do what mm-hmm. she says, then then you know we're the ones who are getting eaten for it. You know. So you make your way through here, and every time like you kind of challenge one of these dudes, like I think with this with this tree being like a. Like a like in like from my opinion, I, I really feel like this is supposed to be themed around courage, like the whole spiders, heights, whatever. I mean, you get you these guys are cowards. <laughs> these dudes straight up, like True. Goma shows up on the scene, they're like, Oh my gosh, we're gonna die if we don't. So they're like, we're gonna do whatever Queen Goma wants us to do. We're gonna we're gonna fight off anyone else who comes in here. Like she's the queen, we give up. So then Link shows up and like the second he hits any of them and like really challenges their stance, they're like, oh, wait, 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 don't kill me. Don't kill me. Here's a tip. Here's how you get through here. <laughs> like, here's the deal. Like even the one who teaches you how to fall without taking damage just was probably trying to give you a tip on how to like that you should be falling. Like <laughs> there's a there's a place here where you should be falling in order to get through. You know, you get to the end and they're like, here's how you kill Queen Goma, which is wild because like if the scrubs knew how to kill queen goma like why didn't they try it you know (laughs) like i don't know like i I think that they they are telling you this information in the interest that if you kill queen goma then they'll be safe like they're like listen if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna let you get through here like we need you to kill her because if she's not dead and we gave up this information we let you through then we're dead like that's that's just the situation. Like either you kill her or she kills us. Like so here's here's an advantage. Like here's a tip. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that in the game. That's very much speculation, but that's that's kind of my take on these guys. <laughs> I don't know if you guys got any similar vibes or if you just kinda you know I have a slightly different take, but I wanna wait until we get to after the Deku tree to go into it with my uh, the, the spots where I found the other scrubs. Cool, cool. Okay. Alright. So yeah, so we walk through the door after we talk to these Deku scrubs, right? Mm-hmm. And we come to this large room, and nothing's inside of it. Absolutely nothing. Except you sort of hear a noise. 
And it's dark. And Navi tells you to look up. And you're, it, you know, it kind of signals you, uh, hey, up on the ceiling. So if you, you, you know, get your spacing in the Can little... Can you uh, get that mat. far? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I want to think that it's also part of the... I mentioned before the fear of the unknown, that you go into this room and the boss, which you know is definitely something big because it kind of fades. You walk through the door, it closes behind you, and then it fades out, and it fades back in. It's very dramatic compared to all the other doors you've walked through, which are just, hey, look, he walks in, the door closes, ba-bam, it's done. You know that there's something special about this room. There's fog barely (laughs) floating above. There's giant pillars which are covered in, in webs. I feel like that again is is bringing up the fear of the unknown. Like where, what's happening? Where's yeah. whatever is going to come from? Is it going to just drop on me from the? Is it going to come up out of the ground? You you don't know, and that's that's scary. Yeah, I mean, I think just to add on to that, I mean, I fear the unknown is great. I mean, it's it's fear of the dark, you know, too. I mean, yeah, it's a dark, too. big yeah. dark room. Um, there's even a fear of open spaces or just feeling yeah, like just your, that, yeah. that your environment is unsafe, which is what this is, you know. Um, if I if I'm remembering correctly, when you enter the room, there's like a camera zoom that's very dramatic, like at link as if something is about to lunge at him. And then it gives you back your camera and there's nothing there. Oh, yeah. And you kind of you kind of feel cheated of like a of like a boss cutscene, um, But there is one to come. And I'm sure that that's the next thing we'll talk about. So I know we kind of just like stomped all over your exposition, Anthony. But <laughs> like, Continue. there's a, there was a lot here we didn't want to miss. <laughs> no, for sure. And uh, it's something I actually want to bring up about this particular enemy in the game is this boss is not an Ocarina of Time first. And it's actually part of the legend of zelda it was originally introduced it looked like a tektite which is a later enemy we'll get to and it was also in a link's awakening as well if anyone has ever played that game they look very different this boss in particular if you remember the goma larva the goma larva had one giant eyeball which we never actually talked about them when we do see them before this and it sort of sets you up for this boss yeah they have a giant like green antenna on top of them being that they're goma larva and then when we actually see um which i'll set up the boss here when you pan your camera and look at the ceiling is when the first boss cutscene of the game comes into play you see this giant i don't even know if i want to say demonic but sort of crab-like spider with two giant arms crab like uh crab appendages on the top of it and it's just hanging there watching you it's the first moment where you're like oh okay so that was there this whole time and that is scary like you thought the skulltillas were scary there is this demonic crab-like spider with demonic crab-like appendages i can't i can't get across demonic enough (laughs) and uh you actually get a look at its stomach it's very hard to see it but it's like the less armored part of the body when you see it on the ceiling and it sort of looks like a giant intestine which sounds really gross but it's like the only unarmored part besides its eyeball which we'll get into later and uh, that's basically the description of goma and it was not a first for ocarina of time 
Yeah. Did its eye roll back in its head like a full 360 in the other games? No. So it was very, very simple. The other games, though, did introduce the combat method. So if you were familiar with the previous games, you would be familiar with the combat method and how to deal with Goma and Ocarina of Time as well, as they kept the same combat method, 2D to 3D. Uh, I'd like to point in uh, that uh, before when you ran into Goma's larva in the actual tree, that it, it definitely felt like that was out of place. Like, running into the Babas and I guess even the Skulltulas a little bit, they, they kind of felt like maybe the Skulltulas didn't belong there, but it's not like they really clashed. Like, they shared at least, like, a, a kind of similar color palette to the rest of the dungeon, whereas Goma and Goma's larva are, like, these purple black reddish mm-hmm. weird things with a giant like red or yellow eyeball like they are very different and foreign to every other enemy or anything that you see except maybe you know the the grates and the torches and stuff like that in the whole temple and so that that basically i feel like cements um the fact that this not supposed to be here basically like everything else is kind of felt like it's supposed to be here and then this is like yeah. the first thing you're like why is this here? And obviously it's it's part of the curse. Um, and something else I wanted to point out I didn't talk to. Yeah. Right, well, go ahead. No, it, it almost seems like Queen Goma. I mean, she's the arachnid queen, right? She, I think it even says like armored arachnid queen. Mm-hmm. Parasitic. Um, yeah, parasitic. But, um, but yeah, she doesn't belong. I definitely agree with that. Like it almost seems like the Skultula is being of the same scheme. It's almost like her, her presence here has like allowed them to be com- more comfortable in this area but they're not something that like doesn't naturally occur anyway every once in a while you know like there are skeletalas in other places in this game outdoors indoors like they're they're kind of a common enemy um we don't know that yet but this early on in the game like it it does seem like they fit in a lot better and it's almost like they were attracted to this whole situation but not necessarily they're the ones infecting it like they're they're more here um, because of what's happening, not they're not yeah, they, they're not actually what's happening. <laughs> they like took advantage of the Deku tree being in a weakened state and kind of infested it. Whereas they might have been there minutely before that, but now they've really exploded in mm. population and they're they're everywhere. Yeah, kind of thing. I agree with that. Um, so yeah, so the uh, the Deku scrubs gave you your tip to uh, hit him hit her while she's stunned. Um, and there's a couple ways to do that. Um, one of which I like to use right off the bat is yeah. the Deku nuts uh, that we've had since the beginning. Um, it's just kind of a common item that you kind of pick up, and the game doesn't make a big deal out of them. Um, aside from the first time you pick them up, but they, you know they end up actually being a a pretty useful item. I think they're they're a little bit underrated. You can stun a lot of enemies with these things. True. Um, they're just a good way to like freeze combat if you're feeling overwhelmed <laughs> um of course you have to have them equipped but for this battle i always do <laughs> um yep. the other method if you're if you uh if you're able to lock on um or if you are able to get a good shot at the ceiling mm-hmm. um is to straight up shoot her in the eyeball with that slingshot you got it's ah geez you know going back um, didn't feel like as easy as a shot as it has always been but that's because these these latest runs i've been playing on on the Wii U and the uh, the sensitivity isn't really something that can be adjusted. It's really, it feels old school. Every every little click, like 
sends the slingshot way past what you're trying to aim at. Um, that's just more of a personal complaint. But um, I was able to get off a few of those shots, knock her off the ceiling, and um, yeah, it's uh, it can be really satisfying, especially if you keep her from dropping any of her larvae, because um, that's you know she has two primary ways of attacking. One is to just be on the ground attacking you, um, but the second she realizes that that's not going to work because you can stun her and hit her pretty easily that way, then she starts retreating to the ceiling, where she'll drop three eggs at a time. Uh, to turn into larva for you to fight it can actually be advantageous to do that because those things can drop i think just about every item that you use in the fight against her i think they can drop seeds the ammo for the slingshot and hearts nice Nice. I i think the plants around the room do that too yeah they do i don't think i ever let them out of their eggs but yeah i didn't know that yeah and you can kill them while they're still in egg form before they hatch yeah, I've definitely let them out of their eggs. It does complicate things. A, a strategy that uh, I want... Well, no, it's not really a strategy. It's just more of a general knowledge. But something I want to point out is there is different amounts of time that she can be stunned for depending on how you stun her. So a Deku Nut, if you just throw it right at her eyeball, will stun her for around two seconds, where if you fire a seed from the slingshot while her eye is red, she'll actually be stunned for five seconds. And then if you nail her while she's on the ceiling, she'll be stunned for around eight seconds, giving you a lot more time to get in hits. And a strategy that I found, which sort of speeds the fight up, because you can just, you know, slash her, slash at her way. And it usually takes around two to three times of stunning for her to be finished completely. Um, If you want to speed that process up, if you're, you know, an advanced player or something like that, uh, once you stun her, I'd, I'd uh, recommend doing a ceiling stun. You can actually use a Deku stick and do a jump strike with the Deku stick. And then once you finish that jump strike off, you then do uh, the shield stab, which is a classic move that Link can know. So you hold your shield button and you just uh, repeatedly use the uh, stab button, the, the attack button basically. And Link will just start going ham on Vilma's eyeball. And if you're good enough, you can do it in one stun. Um, but most of the time, it's, it's two stuns for that strategy. You know, that's actually a glitch. Is it a glitch? Yeah, so the, the crouch stab attack doesn't actually have a damage value. So it takes the damage value of the last attack that you did. And the strongest attack at this point in the game that you can do is a jump strike with the Deku stick. So doing a jump strike with the Deku (laughs) stick and then going into crouch stabs, every single crouch stab has the damage of that jump attack with the Deku stick. Well, I'll be. Wow. That's something that speedrunners take advantage of, yeah. Yeah. So so the the crouch stab, you can't do that if you're locked on, right? Because he stands up if you lock on. So you have to land that attack and then just, like, plant right in front of her and just stab her a bunch of times that way? Yeah, you could lock on, walk up to her, and then just deactivate the lock on and then start doing it. Because I think you need the lock on for the jump strike. Gotcha. But then you can immediately take it off. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, ceiling shots are the way to go if you can get it off, basically. Um, Because it gets you eight seconds of straight attacks on Goma. Nice. Yeah, I, I did notice that. When I was able to shoot her off the ceiling, yeah. like it gives you plenty of time to yeah, skedaddle your way on over there. So eventually, you do uh, defeat 
Queen Goma using these methods. Um, she she burns up in the flame. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's uh, that's kind of a contrast to some of how the other bosses die. But you know, she doesn't leave anything behind. Um, except for this, the you know the first heart container that you get, and then it's almost like you <clears throat> broke the curse. Yeah, yeah, you broke the curse, and you're able to uh, to leave out of the the first uh, blue boss room teleporter um, that you have. I don't really know any lore explanation for why these things come up. They're just a convenient way to get back out of dungeons. Um, I'm going to chalk that one up to video game logic for now. Um, later, <laughs> later dungeons, there seems to be more more of a lore significance to them, but. Um, in these three, there's there's no such thing, um, and it takes you right back outside where the Deku Tree is waiting to congratulate you with the worst news. Hello, Ryan Fonzi here, co-host and editor of this week's episode of A for No, B for Yes. Uh, just wanted to pop in real quick, say thank you um, for giving us a listen, for giving us a chance. Um, just wanted to uh, add a little bit of information. If you were looking to reach out to us, um, you could do so at our Twitter at A for No, B for Yes. That is the letter A, number four, no, uh, letter B, number four, yes. And we also have a Gmail of the same name. That's A for No, B for Yes at gmail.com. Um, yeah, we definitely would love to hear from you, hear your thoughts um, on, on this section of the game. Let us know what you think. Uh, come join up and be a part of the discussion. Um, at this point, uh, we are hoping to have a bi-weekly release um, of, of the podcast. If anything with that changes, we'll let you know. Um, just as a heads up in the future, uh, we do not plan on going through this much of a walkthrough of the game. That's um, not really the intention of this podcast. Um, and we also do not intend to release two-hour episodes every other week. Um, this is our first experience with podcasting, and uh, we weren't entirely sure of how long we could go the, the first time we sat down to record. Um, so for this episode, we gave ourselves a little bit more leeway. Typically, we'll try to keep it shorter. Um, yeah, but we hope you enjoy the episode. Um, we did lose a little bit of audio in the last five, 10 minutes of our recording. Um, and we did a little bit of patchwork to try to put it back together. So we apologize for the drop in quality. Uh, we hope it doesn't ruin your experience. Um, so with that, we will, uh, jump right back into our story. Thanks. So yeah, so we we end up back outside the front of the Deku tree, um, and he congratulates us with the worst news. Um, he he explains to Link um, that you know even though you were able to defeat the curse and clear it out, um, there's still no hope for him. He's he knows his time has been shortened. He knows that he's at this point lost too much power, um, and essentially he's going to die. And this is this is something that as a kid. Um, you know, like it was upsetting to know that even though I had technically won, I had somehow still failed, um, as an adult, uh, just kind of knowing or reading into it a little more, um, this is way more tragic than the game lets on. Um, the Deku tree is this guardian spirit that as far as we know, Link has known his entire life. Um, all of the Kokiri look at this Deku tree as a father figure, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, he's he's given them life. He protects them. Um, he leads them. I mean, odds are they go to him for advice and, and relationship things, you know, advice. Like, <laughs> right whatever whatever it is like he's the one who's trying to 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 teach lincoln and help him on this journey um so what he you know he he shares with him like this this curse was put on me by this this man of the desert i think he this is where he finally shares with you that his name was ganondorf um and what he shares is that this man of the desert um is in a search for the sacred realm and the triforce um triforce uh being like the main artifact of the game that everyone's after um it's it's something that was created by essentially like the gods of this of this world um it represents the the ideals of those gods and it's capable of granting one wish to whoever lays hands on it um so ganondorf's after that wish (laughs) um really long story short but uh going into it you know in order for you to really understand the gravity of this um and to kind of even understand the journey that you're being asked to go on at this point, um, the Deku Tree goes into a story about the creation of the world and these gods and how the Triforce came to be. Um, it's not every world that has a uh, a magic wish-granting Triforce in it, so it's kind of important to understand why this is even here. Um, it's one of the most uh in-depth history lessons that this game Mm -hmm. offers um there's a lot that you have to accept at this point in terms of link just happening to be in this village even though he doesn't really look like everyone else in the village um which they'll get into later but for now you know like there's just been a lot of things like you wake up it's like you're the chosen one oh okay sure I don't know why, but whatever. I trust this tree, you know. So, like, but um, so so this kind of takes it way back and kind of it kind of almost backpedals and gives you more of the the complete story of like the big picture of what's going on in this world. Um, there's an evil climate coming in from this man who's after this Triforce, um, and it's ultimately going to be up to Link to stop it. Um, so, getting into this the, to the history. Um, there are three goddesses. They're golden. Um, not sure what the significance of that is, but you never really see them animated. Um, they are always almost statuesque in mm-hmm. their imagery. Um, they they fly around the world like comets, um, and eventually they crash into each other and leave the world. Um, but uh, they kind of go. This is this is kind of their descriptions, right? So the first you have Din. Uh, Din is the goddess of power she's red everything about her like like she gives off a red aura like red being a, a powerful color obviously um she's credited with creating the red earth um so you see this history lesson of din flying by and like the stones all kind of crashing together in a in a foggy collision that is forming the earth right um next up is Nehru, who is the goddess of wisdom um and her color scheme is blue um she is told to have poured her wisdom onto the earth creating the spirit of law uh so her her whole scene she flies by over the over the red earth that din had created um and you see the sky blue sky with clouds appear like it it, it turns blue um this would i mean knowing the science of that um clouds it's the water that's in the air um she's she basically added water to this world um kind of a huge step 
it it it's really subtle in this cutscene, um, but I think it actually means a lot more to this game than they let on. Um, this is these are the things that I feel like end up being things you need to read into in order to really catch what's going on. Yeah. Um, but Ferora is our last goddess, and um, her symbol, like her her color, is green. Right? She's a goddess rich in soul. Um, she created all the life forms who would uphold the law. You know, it shows her kind of flying by. Again, you see Din's red earth, and you see all of a sudden grass starts growing. Um, like she's added the greenery and and life essentially to to this world. So you have the foundation, you have water, and then you have all of the living things that would use that water and that earth to survive. And, uh- isn't Ferrara the goddess of courage? Yes. Uh, yes. She's the goddess of courage. I should have Something mentioned. I want to do uh, piggyback off of that is Link is also the color green. And time and time again in every Legend of Zelda game, it sort of is a reoccurring theme that Link is courage itself. And so Link could basically be seen as, I don't want to like say this, but a reincarnation of the goddess Feyre. Or or Ferrara's uh, champion, kind of like how yeah. totally off topic. How Skyrim has deities that bestow upon the uh, ch- their champions' power, kind of like Link is her chosen successor. Yeah. Type thing. Yeah. Yeah. He's. I mean, he's always Garvin Green for sure. Um, I think it's a, an, a yeah, it's important detail. It's that. a good yeah, detail. I mean, the co- the color is important. I, I mean, honestly, like. Going through the game this time, kind of everywhere I'm going, I'm kind of looking for these colors and, and where they are. And I think th- this game eventually breaks away from this, but the first six major areas we go are going to somehow represent one of these mm-hmm. goddesses. Um, I would say the last three are the ones that don't, but um, but they they kind of have their own weight to them. Um, by then, we've we've seen enough of this story that we can kind of move on to another layer. Um, so, uh, so they, after creating the world came together and left the world, um, which I think is kind of an interesting description. Like a lot of times you, you, you hear about goddesses, um, or deities in, in a mythology and they're usually like ever present or they're like somewhere on the planet, but like kind of separated from everyone else. No, these, these three created the Triforce and straight up dipped. Yeah. Like, like they, they, they kind of make it sound like you're never going to actually see these people. Like they're, they're gone. And forever, like, you know, for a while, uh, we actually never really seen them again. I mean, they're mentioned in I think Oracle of ages. Um, I don't know, Cameron, if you can correct me on that. Uh, let can I bring up a theory? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So maybe the, the goddesses are gold, right? We brought up that they're like golden statues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what color is the Triforce? The Triforce is made of solid gold. I mean, that's... So maybe yeah. in, instead of creating the Triforce and dipping, maybe the goddesses literally combined their own bodies to become the Triforce. Which is why each different part of the Triforce is directly connected to a different essence of each of those uh, goddesses. That is a strong theory. Yeah, it's, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'm entirely sold on it, but I, I like it. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, it does explain. Like, if we're gonna have the continuum of you know every Zelda game, like obviously being a timeline. Um, 
that theory definitely holds tight if they are the Triforce. You know, their essence is... And the the Triforce is just weird, too, because in other games, I'll just say one little thing from in other games, I remember that the the Triforce gets to choose who it wants to be with. The Triforce can actually reject or choose somebody, and it would make sense that there was some kind of uh, intellect behind it instead of it just being an object created that it kind of has its own consciousness yeah like it definitely has has power it has a it has a purpose it becomes the major i mean it's a major driving force not to make puns of a lot of the games um to the point where i think it shows that like there there are games that don't talk anything about the goddesses but the triforce is still there as as the symbol of power wisdom and courage yeah and there's i mean there's always the characters as well and we haven't met all of them yet so i don't want to go too hard on that um yeah the 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 deku tree actually describes the triforce as the basis of this world's providence um which i thought was such a weird phrase like it was something that i i obviously as a kid i would have never understood that sentence i was like what do you what does that even mean whatever triforce is cool let's go get it but you know it makes sense that the deku tree would know about it because the deku tree is all about providence like the deck the providence is the protective care of either god or of nature as a spiritual power um and nature as a spiritual power is like what the deku tree character entirely is so i mean for him to care about this triforce it makes perfect sense with with who he is like he's concerned with with the care of this world so so he gives you this warning that you know you can never let this man of the desert reach the triforce um he he talks about how the man killed him with this curse um because he he wanted this gem right like this kokiri's emerald that he gives to you he says this is why the man has cursed me basically and and gives you the gem um and he says that you need to take it and go meet up with the princess of destiny um he's he has not told you that you are the quote-unquote child of destiny um he he says it to navi early on in the game um i don't think i mentioned that earlier in our in our talk today but no yeah that's a good point um, to bring up. but he sends you to find the princess of destiny he doesn't even tell you what her name is um but i guess there's really only two princesses in this world <laughs> and um <laughs> And the one you end up going to ends up being the right one, so it all works out. So yeah, so so Link and Navi, uh, they they literally at that point after hearing this story of the three goddesses and the creation of the Triforce and about the evil that is coming to take hold of it, um, have to watch the the guardian spirit of the forest die right in front of them. Um, he turns gray almost yeah. as if into petrified wood or into rock. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, almost immediately, Navi and Link decide, okay, we're going to go do this thing. And they they leave. Um, it almost seems cold. Um, Navi just kind of says, come on, Link, let's go. Um, and then she does take a moment to kind of look back as Link walks away. And it's, you know, it's, I just feel like, you know, the, the weight isn't obvious. Like, I, I feel like it's definitely written where you're only going to care about it if you really want to care about it. Um, you can definitely walk away from this tree and not think twice about it because you've only known the tree for, you know, less than an hour <laughs> of your own life, you know? Um, but I mean, the, the truth is, is that this, this should have a lot of impact both on, on Link and everyone else in Kokiri Forest. 
Yeah. I mean, how did you guys feel about this? So, um, I actually, this is the first time I noticed this. Um, I had not noticed this before. I guess I just never cared to talk to the residents of Kokiri Forest after the Great Deku Tree had passed on. But, um, you know, if you talk to Mito or Saria or the girl on the roof or the guy pulling weeds or even the guy trying to lift up rocks, you know, any of the Kokiri uh, Forest residents, Mito says, how could you let this happen? You know, how could you let the Great Deku Tree die? Um, the guy pulling weeds and the guy pulling rocks both say, hmm, I wonder what's gotten into Mito. He seems very angry or very sad. I don't remember which yeah. one it was. And each resident has their own, like, opinion on what's going on with the Great Deku Tree passing. I think Mito and I think Sari are the only two that actually know at that moment in time when you're yeah. leaving. Um, but that was my take on it. it was, like, I never noticed that. It's the whole forest is, like, in an uproar. Yeah with the great Decker tree dying. Like everyone's like confused. I don't think I talked to everyone on my way out. Um, I mean, you have to talk to Mito cause he decides to guard your way back into the forest. He, he essentially blames yeah. you immediately for what happened. He's like the Decker tree died. Like, how could you do this? Um, and then just kind of dismisses you and is like, whatever I'm done and walks away. I didn't even go back to try to talk to him again. I was like, you know what? Like you don't, you weren't there. <laughs> You know, like, you don't really understand. (laughs) You don't know what happened. Um, And I know, I know Saria's scene um, coming up is, is also, uh, it's, it's one of the heavier ones. I think it's honestly Mm -hmm. like one of the most emotional scenes in the game. Um, One of the, one of the strongest ones, in my opinion. I don't know if there's anything else you guys wanted to talk about with the village before actually that. yeah I thought it was interesting that multiple characters like not the named ones not the important ones but the the random NPCs when you talk to them they say you're going to a castle where is there a castle and huh. that just that, oh, that really yeah. makes me think that this forest is just completely cut off from the rest of the world I mean literally you leave and then you're one field away from the castle. You can basically see it from their front door, essentially. And they yeah. have no idea that it's even there. Yeah. You know what? Well, um, as Fonzie mentioned in the beginning, um, it's a forbidden forest. And the Great Deku Tree sealed it off, you know, from... I'm, I'm guessing both ways. Like, I guess this is the first time you realize that even the people inside the forest didn't know there was an outside. Yeah. And uh, it makes you wonder how Link's, you know, parents or, you know, whoever dropped him into this woods got there. Yeah, how did he get there? Yeah, I I did neglect to kind of mention some of that stuff. I mean, um, because the the Lost Woods, I really want to talk about later. Um, There's there's like a scene and it's literally in the next section that you kind of have to revisit. Um, And it's I, I feel like it's the actually appropriate time to go to the Lost Woods. Um, rather than going there now, you you could go there now and get a lot done, but I, I like to come to it later. But I mean, one of the one of the major things about the village, um, if you try to go to the exit before you go to, and do the Great Deku Tree, um, the there's a Kokiri standing guard out, like basically other side of the town from Mito, um, blocking the other entrance. And what he tells you is, anyone who leaves this forest will die. Like, if any Kokiri leaves the forest, they will surely die. Like, he or she will surely die. Um, and he's, I don't think he's the only one who has that opinion. Um, most of 
of the Kokiri feel that if they leave this forest, they're 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 as good as dead. Um, there's never been one to come back, but then again, there's not really any stories of them leaving either. The Lost Woods, I guess I'll break into it a little bit. Um, the Lost Woods is known for kind of taking people. <laughs> um, whether you're an adult or a kid, um, y- if you go into the woods, uh, the only thing that can happen is that you will basically cease to be human. Um, and I think getting into actually what that means is, is a better talk for another time. Um, but essentially, this forest is is a giant barrier. Like these these Kokiri have never seen this, the castle because they've they've never dared to go over that one last bridge you know like and i'm sure that that was a system set up by the by the deku tree i don't know if if there's some kind of like issue where if they get too far away from the tree they die because they basically say the deku tree gives them life um they are his children so yeah they're they're children of the forest like they call him their father like for all you know i mean these 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 sprites that we know as kokiri they might even be made of plant material but the game never goes into that you know something i just thought of and i don't know if this is going too far away from the actual ocarina of time itself um and we might get into this at a way later date but there are kokiri and there are the other plant-like creatures the um i forgot the name of them at this moment uh koroks Koroks. and every kokiri have not been able to leave their spots. And we see this in Wind Waker, we see this in Ocarina of Time. But the Koroks actually can freely travel anywhere away from the Great Deku Tree that they please. And it makes me wonder, is the Great Deku Tree just lying to the Kokiri children of the forest that they can't leave? Or if they get too far away from him, will his power not reach and will they die? You know, it makes you wonder. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I mean, another distinction to make is that the Kokiri all have fairies. Um, and fairies are only a thing that really occur in this game and in uh, Majora's Mask. Um, at least in terms of the 3D games. I don't know about about like the original or the you know the older games. Um, but Koroks don't. Koroks don't have fairies. <laughs> um, no. And, and it seems like the purpose of a fairy is to be a guide. Um, like it, it seems like they do a lot of, I mean, like even the girl on the awning is trying to teach you how to use your fairy by locking onto somebody and talking to them that way. Um, the fairy that you're given is named Navi, which is, you know, isn't too subtle. I mean, it's, it could be short for navigation. (laughs) Um, you know, like it's, it's, you know, she, she just teaches you stuff and points stuff out, um, gives you warnings, like. Her, her role is pretty distinct to the point where it, it almost seems like the, the Kokiri are given them for the same reason like but they, they need it they need warnings they need to be guided around like they're not they're not great at like just living their own lives because they are they are kids like part of me thinks that the Deku Tree has provided them all with fairies and he didn't give one to Link because Link didn't need one yet like he didn't like he could navigate the, the, the town and like the area around it um, without needing a, a guide, but now that he's leaving home and he's going to be taking on a journey that's probably too big for him um, without some kind of help, he's like, you know, he needs this fairy for these next parts, you know? And maybe, you know, this isn't specifically said in the game, but 
maybe the Deku Tree, knowing Link was there, held Navi, um, which maybe he thought was his best guide fairy or best fairy um, for an adventure, you know, like that was able to give the best information. Maybe Navi's like more knowledgeable than the other fairies, and that's why he held off on, you know, giving anyone else a fairy, giving Navi the fairy to Link. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Like they never, that's never mentioned, but, you know, just it's something I like to think about. Like, why is Navi so be- much better? Yeah, it's very speculative. Like, I know that Majora's Mask kind of breaks some of that because there's, there's, you get like a totally different fairy in that one, and for different reasons. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, there's a lot, there's a lot to that because I mean, originally you're known as the boy without a fairy. Like, Link is defined by something he lacks, which is kind of <laughs> kind of messed up. Like, he he gets different titles. I mean, everybody either thinks of him as a kid or as a man. Most of the Kokiri think that him getting a fairy is what makes him a man but a lot of other characters have completely different um kind of criteria for that um it's such a there's there's a lot to go into with that but i don't like there's not enough that's i think clearly stated in the game um to really talk about the lore of the fairies very well so i actually did do a lot of exploring in the lost woods and i was gonna (laughs) talk about it a little bit yes please because i remember this i won't get too too much into the details i'll just share a couple of little secrets that i found um there is an area with two what are they called business scrubs yeah they they're really bad at their job though and all they're trying to sell you are deku sticks and deku nuts and since this is after the deku tree you really don't need either of those so they they don't know they don't know the whole supply and demand because they're in a forest trying to sell you trees basically mm-hmm. yeah and there's like a little uh there's like a little bush i don't know is that what you call it like they have them in the forest too the grass that covers the ground that has some rupees hidden in it they have one of those by a tree and there's a hidden grotto there that i fell in and didn't even realize yeah. that it was there honestly and i dropped into a, a secret place you guys know what what that's about i i fell into it but i couldn't do whatever it was i found there and had to leave yeah. Yeah, it's it's called the forest stage, and for a second when you drop down, you see all the Deku scrubs up, and then they go down, and I don't really know how to get them to come back up. I think yeah. it might have something to do with Saria's song. Yeah, that would make later sense. On. But I've... it also says something about needing to put a face on. Yeah, something about, like, I remember mm-hmm. there was a sign about either performing or putting on a happy face or something like that. So maybe you need a mask for that, but... Yeah, I was thinking mask too, maybe. Huh. And the other thing uh, is that you can actually get to the, well, the the first actual temple. Because before, while you're a child, they're referred to as dungeons, and when you're an adult, they're referred to as temples. You can make it all the way to the forest temple as a child. And you can fight a werewolf as the very first werewolf in the entire game that you can fight. Uh, it still dies to one jump slash to the tail, though, even with the weakest sword in the game. So that's kind of funny. I don't think you actually fight... The wolfos. Yeah, I don't think you fight a wolfos until you're an adult otherwise. This is the very first Mm-mm. one you can ever fight, and it's, like, right in the beginning of the game, if you do. I actually think they're introduced in the spirit temple. Or not the spirit temple, I'm sorry, the um, forest temple. I think they're pretty much introduced there. Yeah, there's a pair. And this is the other spot that has the scrubs. The scrubs are lining this place like crazy. There are no moblins or other kind of enemies there. It's just the scrubs. Yeah, and they're the um, they're the mad scrubs yeah. that are separate from the Deku tree. And I'm, I'm wondering if this is where I was going with the 
the thing I was saying, I don't know if I really... I, I don't know if, if Goma was, like, bossing them around so much as the fact that Goma's even there has kind of tainted and corrupted the forest and the... The, the spirits of the forest, not necessarily the children or the fairies, but you could also think of those scrubs as kind of being, you know, spirits of the forest, that they were affected by that corruption and that tainting, and that's what changed them into being basically Goma's uh, servants instead of the Deku's servants, and that that when the Deku tree died, the scrubs around the forest temple as well also became enraged and lost their way, lost the, you know, the right path that they were on and became corrupted, <coughs> which is why they tried to attack. Hmm. That's a good thing to think about. And then there's one other thing that I want to say is that I thought this, this is strictly from a coding perspective that when I got all the way to the forest temple and couldn't go any farther because of things we'll talk about later, I went back and there was no cutscene with Saria on the bridge, and there was no conversation with Kabora Gabora at all. It completely removed those as triggers in the game. Oh no. For a way that only I can assume is because you've showed that you have so much, like, you're such an adept at this game that you already made it all the way to the Forest Temple, which is supposed to be kind of hard. The Lost Woods are not something you're supposed to just walk into and get through as a child. They're, it's supposed to be something that it's a lot of trial and error to make it all the way through. And so the game, like, it removed triggers because I assume it, it knows that I know what's up and that it doesn't need to tell me. Huh. And when you told me that, and then you started mentioning the scrubs, um, it made me think because... Like, they have two different programming, uh, I don't know if I want to say, like, landscapes for when you're a kid and when you're an adult, when you're in the Lost Woods and the Forest Temple is, you mentioned, you know, obviously there's no moblins, and they're replaced with the Mad Scrubs. So, you know, they obviously programmed that you can go there as a kid, and you can also go there as an adult. So they obviously left the Lost Woods open to you being there as a kid. And then removing Kepora, Gebora, and Saria, it's sort of like, oh, well, you don't really need them, like you said, but also, maybe you just, maybe they took into account, oh, where you were exploring these for so long that they're just gone. Um, I don't know. Did the game... It was just weird to me. Did the game give you the ocarina? No. How are you... It didn't. Okay, you might get stuck then. Yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know. Um, you know, I have my system here. Let me open it while we're continuing this, and I'll check if it just appeared in my inventory, which can happen. Oh, God, yeah. I forgot it was plugged in. The game can do that, yeah. I was going to ask if you got Saria's song, but then I was like, wait a minute. You said she wasn't there, but, like, how would you have learned it without an ocarina? You know, like, so... Yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't would, even think about that. That was the first place yeah, you'd get your ocarina. You might be in for a second run of the Deku Tree. it's weird that you know they have programmed in though a different landscape for a child yeah and then they have they have programmed in a different landscape for an adult because when you're an adult there's a lot of different monsters that are in the lost woods they obviously left it open like that that you could get to the forest temple so I, i feel like Nintendo isn't so bad at making games and testing them that they would have such a glaring beginning of the game, uh, what, soft lock, where the game would be completely unbeatable or unpassable for a certain point just because you went somewhere that was totally intended for you to be able to go. 
That would be really surprising to me. Oh, I actually have it, yeah. I don't know when it happened, but out of nowhere, I have the ocarina in my inventory. I can access it. I imagine they gave you the ocarina the second you hit um, Hyrule Field. Because the game probably assumes you can't get to Hyrule Field without this. Um, having gotten this. So. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I imagine that it's, it's kind of funny, but I imagine that um, you didn't get the ocarina until you hit Hyrule Field. And Saria probably doesn't show up until you have the ocarina. So you probably didn't learn the song because you didn't go to the field. So, like, you kind of went all the way there and kind of just lost, I don't know, you lost your cutscene and everything. But, like, to think that you could have, you could make it all the way there and just not get the song because the game was broken in other ways. Like, I don't know, it's just a weird loop of problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so if you play the game... Um, and don't do that, I guess. <laughs> the normal way. You play the game the normal way. Um, you start heading towards this castle, and you, you make your way over to the exit. Um, the Kokiri over there is still f- just... His mind is blown that you would ever leave. Um, but he doesn't actually try to stop you this time. Um, and there's no explanation for that. He just decides, oh, okay, I'm not really guarding this exit anymore. Um yeah, I don't even think that specific Kokiri knows that the Deku Tree's dead yet. Right, he's just like, surprised that you're leaving, even though he physically stopped mm-hmm. you earlier. Um, yeah, it's a weird loop. Hold. So you get out, and weirdly, like this is this is one of the strangest like intros to a cutscene for me because Link goes running across this bridge, and you, you know if you're quick, you can see that there's a fairy there. Um, but is one of the only cutscenes I think I've ever seen where there's intentional pop in because he almost makes it past like all the way across this bridge when Saria appears next to her fairy um, and calls out to Link and he's completely stopped in his tracks. Um, you know, he's she 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 kind of shares with him. She has this moment of like, I always I always knew you'd be leaving because you're different than all of my other friends. Um I want you to have this, right? And she gives you her fairy ocarina. Turns out she has another one, but we'll get to that later. Um, And she says, uh, when you play my ocarina, I hope that you will think of me and come back to the forest to visit. There's there's a line in there where she kind of also says, you know, like, everything will be okay. Like, it'll be okay. I know it'll be okay because we'll always be best friends, won't we? Um, And she kind of phrases it as a question. Um, But at the same time, you kind of get this feeling like, she she's kind of going through a loss of her own like i don't know if she she doesn't mention the the deku tree um she only is there to kind of talk to you about the fact that you are now leaving um and that it's going to affect your guys's relationship like you guys are have been best friends i don't know how for how long um but she she's clearly this character who whose house is full of hearts <laughs> like she's she loves hearing good news about you like the fact that that you're now off on this adventure means that you're not going to see each other for a while and i mean spoilers like it's not as long as you might think <laughs> before you finally like come visit again but um that aside it's like it's it's this really heavy and touching moment of like hey like there's there's a there's a courage involved in being able to to take on a mission um, when it means that you know certain relationships might suffer um, when it means like you know you're leaving something behind 
um, in order to take on something that's that's greater or more important. I mean, obviously, like Link is going to protect this entire world um, according to what the tree has told him, and that includes his forest and his home with all of his friends. Um, mm-hmm. But he doesn't really have a response to this. Um, Link, yeah. a- after hearing this, takes two kind of awkward steps backwards. I noticed that. Pauses, and then just kind of books it. Like, he doesn't say anything back to her. Like, she's kind of left just kind of gazing out at where he, he runs. Um, and, I mean, I've always felt a little bit of frustration with Link over this one. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, I'm like, this is a kid who doesn't know what he's in for, you know. Uh, all he knows, he just watched his his father, you know, basically pass away right in front of him. Now he's now he's got his best friend basically like saying she's worried um, that you know she thinks things are gonna be okay. She wants him to come back and visit, but as as far as he knows like the second he leaves this forest he might die <laughs> you know like he's a kokiri after all or at least he thinks he is so you know like there's a lot going on here and he just i just don't think he processes it all very well um yeah what did you guys make of this scene well if if we take away the fact that uh link is a mute basically <laughs> okay. and um if you give him the Ability that he has conversations with people, you just don't hear it. I sort of thought like Link, like because I I didn't I don't think I ever caught the two step thing and the and the run before until I played this time. And I when I saw that, I sort of thought like he was just like, well, I'm gonna die, so I'm just not saying bye, and I'm just gonna run away. Basically, is what I got out of that. I don't know, Cameron. Do you have anything? Well, I didn't get to really see <laughs> that scene. Oh, right. Yeah. right. But I do actually remember that two-step and run. Uh, but I didn't get a lot of chance to meditate on it because I, I didn't see it, so I didn't even think about it until you guys just brought it back up into my memory. Yeah. So I, I guess I don't really have anything to add. It, yeah, it's just... um. Yeah, the dude just walks right away. Yeah, it, it's almost like they, you know, the the death of the Deku tree was kind of downplayed to set up this moment as like being the critical one of Link leaving the forest, and it's it's you know it's it just comes across as really as kind of deeper than what I expected at the beginning of the game. Um, I remember this scene always having an impact whenever I would, you know, like I knew it was coming because I had seen it twice before. But, um, yeah, it's always kind of made me feel a similar way of like it, it really feels like there's there's some level of loss here. You know, like you feel like you've lost this best friend, even though, you know, in reality, you you could turn right back around if you wanted to. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. Speaking of turning around, do you you know, the movie trope don't look back. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like that is what Link embodied with his movement. Like, the way she was looking at him, the way she was talking to him, if he stayed any longer than that, he might have faltered and not been able to go through with the journey that he was tasked with as the child of destiny. Yeah. I feel like he had to run away because his his heart, you know, he probably wanted to stay there. These are the people he's been around his entire life, but he was told he has to leave them all behind and go out and do his own thing. So... 
you know, he, he probably wanted with all his heart to stay there and to, to embrace her and to, to live in the forest like he always had. But instead, he knew he had to tear himself away from everything he's ever known and just run and never look back. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And I, I feel like that's like a, a really emotional thing that he portrays very well in his... Like, it's not even just a, a one-two step back. I think, it, maybe not in the original, but in the 3DS one, his his whole body actually recoils. Like, his, his arms go out, he leans back. Like, and there's a pause, too. I don't know, like, like there's something so bright in front of him that he just can't handle it, and he, he has to just turn and run, or else maybe he would be engulfed There's by a it. pause, actually, too, after the two steps. He pauses, I, I want to say, at least a second, maybe half yeah. a second, but it's a noticeable pause before he books it. He hesitates. Yeah. So that's a really good point to bring out. Um, so Very strong scene. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I think that it does a, a good job of just, like, hitting on some deeper sides of, like, what's really going on in, in Link's world. Um, again, I, I guess I don't want to beat this to death, but as as the 8- or 10-year-old playing this game, like, the, for the first time, I think, I mean, the GameCube, I think I got back in 2004, so I would have been 12 when I actually owned the game, but I, I think I had seen this scene before then. Um, just from playing through the beginning, um, you don't you don't get it. You don't really understand all of it. Like it really comes across as a lot more shallow. It's like you're having too much fun to realize that there's like real loss and and real courage and real like emotions going on in these characters. Even though, yeah, yeah, raw emotion. You just kind of are excited to get to the next thing and fight the next monster. You know. <laughs> Um, yeah, like I definitely felt that on uh, first time I played it on the N64, like back in, I think it was 1999 or 2000, I did not pay attention to anything. And even the second time I played through it, which I want to say was high school, and I never really paid attention to this stuff. And this playthrough... I'm picking up on every single key little detail and it's it's almost weird like it's a game that I feel is different for everybody. Everybody takes something away from it. Yeah, it's it's something it's different. It's kind of like a novel. Like it's one of the it, t- mm-hmm. yeah, it's and it yeah, starts real strong. I feel like there are some parts in this game where I struggle to find as much feeling as as here in in these opening uh hours of the game. Um, I mean this. I mean, second time just recently playing this, it only took me about an hour to get this far. Um, but still, like it's it's such a strong opening if if you're just willing to listen to what the characters have to say and and understand what what would have led to this and and how they you know how they're actually taking it real time. Because um, I mean, obviously, there's it's really hard to to really express things well when you're dealing with the graphics of 1998. But um, but they did a really yeah. good job of just visual storytelling and and kind of nailing some of these, I don't want to say subtleties, but but nailing some of these deeper aspects of relationships. So yeah, like I think that with this game, um, one of the things that they really got right was being able to tell the story without too much writing. Oh yeah, you know, like they they definitely do. I mean, like the Deku Chi definitely dumps some lore on you right right at the end here, but. Um, but even with that, like that's that's way less than some RPGs try to give you today. Like I know games where you can read every wall and like 
you know, there's there's just text everywhere to kind of sift through and, and dive into, and just you could be reading for for days, you know. Yeah, like the kids that the kids that have grown up with open world games and AAA voice acting and the majority of the things that they play and graphical fidelity that you know almost almost mirrors like what Hollywood can do with multi-million dollar movies. And then to go back to a game, even the 3DS remake of it, that is, is old, it's dated. But how, how do they see that? Um, this one doesn't really need that. Um, they they kind of tell the story through their characters, through their settings. Um, you know, if you take the time to talk to the NPCs, most of them only have one or two boxes of dialogue, and that's enough for them to tell you a full story. Um, it's uh, it's very it's a very concise and effective way of telling it. Yeah, the stories are, are told more so through the actions of the characters themselves than the words spoken by them. Yeah. Like, you, you don't need Ganondorf to come up to you and brag about how awesome he is. He, uh, you know, later on things, but... He doesn't. He doesn't ever like talk to you and say I'm this big bad guy. It's just the things that he does. Like already, we can see that he's corrupted and killed the the great forest tree. He didn't even need to say a single word to you for you to already have this this understanding of exactly how bad he is. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you guys feel good about moving on? All right. So after we leave Kokiri Forest, we get to Hyrule Field. We see Kepora Gebora, the owl on the tree. And this guy has a lot to say to you. A lot. And he just starts talking about going to the castle, Link's hardships he's going to face on his way there, just more of the nonsense that he's going to be talking about. And at this point, everyone's telling you to get to the castle, so you should just go there. Yeah. And if you're if you're like me, you you might not even really care much about the owl at first, because um, you just see this giant opening and you're like, oh man, look at this sandbox. I'm gonna go play, and then you kind of get caught. You kind of get caught by the owl, because <laughs> this dude wants to talk. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even. I didn't even take notes on this guy. I don't know what he actually says. I know it's along the lines of, if you go forward, you'll run into the castle. And then he just gives you three more paragraphs for no reason. And at the end, he says, did you catch all that? And your first option is no. So if you click A, you are back in it, folks. You go right back on that loop. Yeah, don't spam through Kepora Gaborah. I don't even know if pressing B works. Like, I don't even know if you press B, if it actually works as the yes and you get out of it. I don't think it does. I think think if you press B, it does nothing. Yeah, I think it's still a no. I think if you press B, it counts as no anyway, and he still goes back to the beginning. (laughs) But but if you do go down and hit yes, I know for sure that works. But that's the only one I tried this time, so I can't verify that. I just know that this owl used to cause me so much pain as a kid. Because you're not patient enough to know... To stop and hit no like you just you're just jamming yeah. that a button actually specifically if you do hit no the first time i'm pretty sure he remarks on it and he says oh looks like you're paying attention or something or you know how to pay attention or something like that and he didn't even show up for me all right so i think with that we've reached the uh the conclusion of this week's episode um next week we'll be covering up to the gate to death mountain 
Um, so if you have any comments on that, uh, please um, feel free to shoot us an email. And we would love to hear your feedback on our episode. And if you like the show, uh, the best compliment you can give us is to share us with a friend. Cam, Ryan, where does that leave us? And so I think that just about wraps up the first episode of A for No, B for Yes. Did you get all that?